Welcome to Rockstock Channel. We are very privileged to have Ben Steinberg here with us today, who is at Venn Strategies, a political lobbyist in Washington, D.C., and he has also put together a, a coalition, which you're going to talk about a little bit. But a number of our clients, we have a couple of clients in common, Talon Metals in Nickel, Piedmont Lithium in Lithium, both of whom have successfully received grants from uh, the Department of Energy through the bipartisan infrastructure law. But you have a few other clients, I think, who received loans. Uh, why don't you just tell us a bit about what you do, Ben, and then we waited until after the results kind of came in from the election, except for one result, which we'll talk about. But for the most part, we have a modest Republican majority. You know, the Senate's going to be Democrat. And the red wave, the Republican wave that some had been predicting, which could have been a headwind against a lot of the climate and, and critical minerals legislation that Biden passed, that that headwind is not going to happen, right? We're calling this, you know, Biden's bullish congressional climate, right? Because the, the momentum uh, that's been put in place over the last few years should likely continue over the next two. And people like Jigger Shah at the loan programs office who have spent a lot of time, you know, getting ready to deploy, 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 you know, to use Jennifer Granholm, you know, I'm expecting there's going to be a lot of such deployment uh, of loans on top of the grants, you know, that have already, you know, started. So within that context, uh, Ben, just tell us a bit about what you do. And uh, we're going to ask a bunch of questions more focused on policy than politics, but uh, inevitably there'll be some politics thrown in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me, Howard. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Ben Steinberg. I'm an executive vice president at Venn Strategies. My background is I spent nine years at the U.S. Department of Energy, a uh, short stint at the Council on Environmental Quality at the White House, came over to Venn about four years ago, and have a heavy focus in the critical minerals and uh, battery development work building the North American supply chain. Our firm is about 60 people. It's bipartisan. We do consulting across a number of practice areas. We have a large infrastructure practice, about 10 staff work on batteries and critical minerals in our, in our infrastructure practice that I co-chair. We in uh, really, I want to say, I mean, it's interesting you talk about Biden, the, the push on critical minerals really started during the Trump administration, where he signed a few executive orders. And at the beginning of the Biden administration, he signs the executive order on America's supply chains. And he's focused on four supply chains, one of which is critical minerals. And the other second one is on batteries. Uh, the other two are chips and healthcare supply chains, but the, from the beginning, they have been laser focused on this. We saw this coming in 2020, and when he got elected, we formed the Battery Materials and Technology Coalition, which started as six members, and now it's up to 16. It was formed with the uh, purpose of supporting the development of a North American supply chain. Uh, most of the members are in U.S. and in Canada, some of which also have international plays outside of North America. It, we represent from mining through battery pack development as well as recycling. So to give you a flavor of it, there are two lithium companies, 
a nickel company, four graphite companies, three silicon companies, a manganese company, some battery technology firms, a cell and pack maker, uh, pack maker and two recyclers. So that, and, and we went, the reason these guys wanted to form is, hey, if we, if we join together, there's really an opportunity to work with the government and grow the industry together. And all eyes were on the infrastructure bill at the time. So I, I'm happy to get into how that all unfolded and developed, but really this has been the group that has created the opportunity at Department of Energy, the $6 billion. Um, and we saw half of it deployed last month, a uh, very exciting moment in October. And we're gonna go through that because I, I put together a, a spreadsheet here of all of those grants. It was $2.8 billion. And uh, I grouped them here by graphite anode, non-graphite anode, cathode, lithium, nickel, and then recycling other. Uh, there's only one project in nickel in America, Talon, you know, which was 115 million grant. I also highlighted here the use of funds. Some of these are for commercial plants. Others are for demonstration plants. And, you know, so Piedmont received a loan for a, a hydroxide processing plant. It's a grant, not a loan. It's a grant. It's a grant. So I, I keep mixing yeah. up. This is free money. Yeah. This is free money. Um, <laughs> Albemarle received a grant, you know, for spodumene processing, not mining. There's a distinction. They refused to so far uh you know fund mining but anything that's not digging the hole in the ground but the processing into spodumene concentrate that's what uh Albemarle got even without a, a a permit i'm curious about those grants is, is that money yeah. like in the coffers of the companies already or do they are there hurdles before they get that money like could piedmont use that money you know for i don't know early long time lead items and the like because Albemarle, they're talking about like not until 2027, you know, they don't need this money. So like, how does that um, work with, with the deployment, actual deployment? Yeah, I'll, I'll back up and explain how this all came to be. We, we put together the legislation, the BMTC, and we worked both in the House and Senate to introduce it at a $10 billion mark. Uh, and we split the the funding up between processing and then the battery component manufacturing and recycling. And we split the funding in two areas of the department. And we did that to build the political um, support around it, right? So you got Western Democrats who are, are pro-mining and processing. You have some Southeast Democrats, some Midwest uh, Democrats and Republicans. And we really stitched together the, the coalition that would support this. When it eventually got its way into the infrastructure bill, it got whittled down to $6 billion. The reason we didn't do mining, and we wanted to, we have mining clients and mining members of the BMTC, is because the support wasn't there at that moment for the, in the Democratic Party. Today, I might think differently, but two years ago, two and a half years ago, it wasn't there. Um, in I want to your... dig into that like in, in greater detail. So you, you yeah. political calculus that in America, mining is bad, 
right? So you, you couldn't lobby to get mining in there, but now you're feeling that the Democrats may have moved. Yeah, I think we've lost social license here, right? I mean, North Carolina used to be the center of mining from the 50s to the 80s. It was the cradle of lithium in the tin spodumene belt and uh and then we and it then it left we have a lot to do to build that social license to engage communities to listen to folks people the democratic party the left-wing part of the party has been successful with keep it in the ground movement and no matter what right and there and in that time mining has evolved it's much more sophisticated it's less environmentally intrusive but still if you're in a community and there's a hole in the ground next to you i think there's going to be some consternation and concern and there's going to be a lot of um issues that need to be discussed and worked out between government between the community so we have work to do and i think the administration has been fairly bullish on this uh saying look we understand, but we need this stuff to electrify the economy and uh, bring down our emissions. This is a pathway that we need to take. So I do think that things are shifting um, slowly but surely. Do you, do you think like there could be funding for mining, right? Out of the so grants, think, out of the loans, out of... Yeah. So I think we're headed in that direction. Certainly, the passage, uh, the president's signature on battery minerals for the Defense Production Act, Title III program, supporting specific mineral development is a sign in that direction from the administration, from the public, saying this is important for national security, it's important for economic security in our country. And then when we put together uh, the Congress put together a Ukraine supplemental funding bill to help the Ukraine uh, Ukrainians in their war efforts. They put in specific money for critical minerals development uh, that is uh, critical that goes towards mining. So DOD right now is receiving uh, proposals from mining entities in the United States which also includes Australia and Canada, by the way, uh, and those will go towards mining efforts. So we are shifting in that direction. The other thing that's happening is the Department of Interior is working on sustainable mining reform at a policy and regulatory level, and they will be coming out with their report after many stakeholder meetings and engagements with the community uh, on what their recommendations are for doing this in a sustainable fashion. And that'll feed into the permitting reform too. The third thing that's happening is the White House runs a permitting reform council and mineral developments are part of that. It'll be codified if the permitting legislation goes through in Congress and there will be a lot more focus on not only the mining, but the processing projects. So a lot, a lot of activity. I, I do think we're shifting there. There is a lot more that needs to be done with federal, state, federal, local coordination, educating the public about this. You know, we have power lines everywhere. We have power plants. We have oil rigs. We have wind turbines. This is going to be part of how we work 
how we live in the future. You, you mentioned a bunch of things in there, which are really great. And uh, for the viewers here, um, we, we did a video a few months ago with John Miller of Cowan, which covered a lot of Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure law. So th there's a whole of government approach here. You know, the Department of Energy, you know, has money that they're deploying. And uh, but you mentioned the DOD, the DPA, the Defense Production Act, that's coming from the uh, Department of Defense. Uh, a lot of we have clients in Canada and Australia and they're like, oh, can we tap into this Department of Energy, you know, loans, grants? And the answer to that is largely no from the grants and the loan side. But the Department of Defense, from a national security point of view, has a separate pocket of money. And that money has been growing to, to a degree. Ben, you told me yesterday that those monies, you know, you people thought was a small five, 10 million, you know, you said it could go up to 50 million, but it was mainly for like studies, engineering, not so much full project development. You were suggesting that that could, well, with what you're talking about here now, the Department of Interior hasn't really opined at all, but they're working on something. And that's important. The Department of Interior is where the Bureau of Land Management, all everything that's out West, and you're mentioning the, in the White House as a permitting reform council, I mean, it definitely seems to be other elements of the, you're right, this started under Trump. This has been a multi-year, you know, it, it, bipartisan effort. And it seems like there's there's very good momentum there. I saw you, meant, you mentioned the DFC, what's that stand for? Development Finance Corporation. The Development Finance Corporation used to be called the Overseas Private Investment Corp. So now this was kind of an, uh, this was under Trump. Uh, they, they were saying get rid of OPEC, but instead it was a response to China's Belt and Road. What could be, um, you know, some funding alternative for emerging markets, right? So there was a, an equity check written from this uh, DFC to, to TechMet in Brazil for a cobalt nickel project so i'm interested to see like something like that could fund you know, for example piedmont in ghana right theoretically like this is emerging market funding this this money won't go this is meant to be development finance corporation it's not meant to go to rich countries right but to the extent that there are african or other emerging or front it could be money there could go to argentine projects theoretically yeah. is there some movement on that score because i see like Jigger Shah and, and Jennifer Granholm, it's all deploy, deploy, deploy out of the Department of Energy. But like, I think that could be a big pocket of money if it were deployed to, to minerals. And, and they don't have this um, no mining, right? Like this is going to mining. Yeah, Howard, I think you're pointing out a really important um, whole of government approach that's really taking place. It's not just on the domestic side, it's also on the international side. And that goes towards diplomacy, deploying loans and aid. It, it's going to private sector engagement abroad, and it's going to trade issues. So I, I'm happy to kind of walk through what it what it is that the government's doing. It's really a mix of these loan agencies like Development Finance Corporation and the Export-Import Bank uh, partnered with State, uh, Department of State and Department of Commerce. And of course, you have the U.S. trade representative who's uh, thinking through our trade relationships with individual companies multilaterally and particularly with China on tariffs. So um, I, one way that I'll talk about it is a new initiative that the State Department 
announced a number of months ago called the Mineral Security Partnership. And that's partnerships with most of the industrialized world to access mineral deposits, put some sustainability and ESG category criteria around those projects, and try to bring public and private sector investment to those. I mean, one of the stories that folks are familiar with that listen to these to your podcast is that the Chinese have gone in and provided very low, you know, they've allowed, they've captured investment and projects abroad, paying a lot of money, probably overpaying. And so this is an effort by uh, the rest of the world to come into those countries and say, you have an alternative and we're here to help. So they are fast working in two tracks. One is to build those uh, sustainability criteria, and then two, come together on a project list between Japan, Korea, Germany, Canada, Australia, US, and try to figure out who's going to finance what and who gets the resource back in, in their countries. So all of that is happening live. And it's very complicated because you got they got to negotiate between the different countries. Really very uh, encouraging development that there's global coordination and that the U.S. will get a substantial part of these resources as they get financed and developed, right? Like the USTR has these trade, these tariffs that started during the Trump era, the 301 trade tariffs. And so in the next Congress, the question, and with this uh, administration in a divided Congress, are they going to reevaluate, reimagine the 301 tariffs and uh, reduce some of those barriers for imports to keep them the way they are? It's, it's unclear right now. Let's talk about the carrots before the sticks, but the, the, US, the, the USTR, I mean, those are the Trump you know, aluminum and steel tariffs that were deployed, but Biden has not, you know, kind of removed them. And that's why, you know, steel companies are having such a good time in the United States, mint, minting, um, you know, profits they, they've not, you know, minted before. There could be some tariffs that are put on batteries or, you or, know, may, maybe, yep. lithium, maybe lithium, like could lithium yep. coming from China, you know, from Albemarle, you know, be subject to, higher tariffs at some point uh, to motivate, you know, more domestic or, or non-Chinese. Uh, there are, there are, right. So like, and, and it's weird because you can get a full battery, which is tariffed at a less amount than the actual raw material. So it disincentivizes us to import and do the production here versus just shipping in the final product. So I think there's incongruence that they know about that they are trying to work through. In the meantime, there are a lot of exception, uh, exemptions that are put forward. Graphite is one of them where those tariffs are exempted uh, because of the national importance and are because uh, we haven't fully stood up. Because the it's 100% graphite. coming from China. <laughs> so right. look, we, we got to be careful because there's like tit for tat with China. Uh, okay. Like you, you know, you, you do one thing here and then they do something elsewhere. And, you know, there's a lot of American interest. Your know, GM has a big Chinese business. Tesla has a big Chinese business. So it, it'll be interesting to, to see how that plays out, but I'm more interested in what you're talking about this mineral securities partnership via the state department, because there's been a lot of statements coming out of Europe lately. There've been like a, 
a lot of statements about strategic, you know, labeling certain projects strategic, and then like having to fund them. But it's not clear to me that the European Commission says this is what we propose. You know, where does like how does it then get implemented and into funding? You're saying that this mineral securities partnership seems to be, you know, Americans are talking to the European Commission as well as Australia, as well as Canada, and they're looking kind of globally, you know, at projects, specific projects of Correct. continental or national or ex-China strategic importance. And then that one we need to build, right? That one we need to support. We need to fund that one or or these 10. Right. But then if that project's in Europe, like we're we represent European metals holdings, and there's a lot of talk about this Czech project, Cinevec, which is a past producing tin and, and tungsten mine, but has a ton of lithium. It's like a big advanced project in lithium, you know, about that getting being labeled strategic. Okay. But I just thought that this would be Europe for Europe. I just presume that like there would be some deal that would like connect it to Germany. What you're saying yeah. is that the State Department might be talking about this, some like it could be interconnected with um, yeah. some Americans or, or or Japanese and Koreans, you know, for but but seemingly, you know, ex-China, right? Correct. To, to yeah, and there's, there's a tension there, right? Because we, we're trying to work with them on those, finding those good projects and financing them and bringing the minerals into Europe, into the US, into Canada, into Australia to process. So they don't all go back to China to process and then make the batteries there. And then you had the Inflation Reduction Act that passed, which excludes um, non-FTA countries, which is the majority of Europe. So I think they're saying, wait, we're trying to work together. What's going on? So there is that. Um, there is that balance and 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 bottom line we are competing they if they want to build their auto industry they have a very uh strong auto industry in europe they need all the minerals and materials they can get too so we are collaborating and competing uh at the same time so that's that's uh that's good theater it's it's uh interesting how that will all shake out in the coming years but it's there's definitely movement and paranoia and general <laughs> there's there's bipartisanship within America, but there's also like between America and Europe in understanding that we want an we want an energy transition. You know, it's another industrial revolution, um, and China has very quietly and quickly, you know, had the foresight to lock up the whole supply chain and. You know, the, the anti-mining, the outsourcing everything to China mentality, you know, has to change, right? You know, we, we've seen our vulnerability through COVID um, of being reliant on China, being reliant on Russia. So there has to be, you know, an era of sustained, you know, or localized, you know, supply. Um, but it's an industry that, you know, on, on the other hand is is hated, right? You know, um, and there's not, it's not a very sophisticated, you know, private sector, you know, infrastructure of finance for a lot of um, these types of companies. So it needs government support, it needs the loans, it needs the tax credits, it needs, and it also needs the political okay, like just the, the bully pulpit of saying, 
we need this mining's okay and push back to the nimbyism you know it used to be yeah. like back, back in the in, in the 50s you know people live you know we had to make room for the vehicles so i'm living here in new york yeah. and and um uh you, you know they just like they broke up you know town they said like <laughs> we got to build a highway you know eminent domain yeah. right yeah. i haven't seen eminent domain like implemented yet for mining and hopefully it doesn't get to that point where that's needed but you know the small vocal minority you know combined with um you know very you know you know media that that thrives on conflict right you know it's very easy to conflate you know a small nimby resistance into you know a political nightmare right that you know so um, and I would I would argue you need not only mining, you need the processing and you need the battery component. You need, here you, need, you, need, you need the whole supply chain. Uh, you, know, you sure. have you have a nickel mine right now, the Eagle mine, which has doesn't have the processing capabilities in the United States. So that, you know, I think they would prefer to keep it in the U.S., but that has to go to Canada. It has to go to Europe. It probably ends up in the Chinese supply chain. And so we're trying to correct that by building each of the steps in the process. So we have a captive supply chain here that can support our, our energy independence. Well, that's why Talon, uh, you know, they won that grant for a processing plant in North Dakota. Yep. Right? But the processing plant wasn't in Minnesota, right? The mines in Minnesota, they, they still need to mine, right? You know, yep. they got, need to get that mine approved. Um, but it, it but yes we, we we it makes no sense to just ship it all around the world everything needs to be um, yeah. localized and we have the capacity we have a lot of resources here in the united states to do it uh, but going back to again we have a number of clients outside of the united states that want to tap into money uh here so there's the dpa which we mentioned a, a company like I know Mansion visited Alberta, you know, last year or earlier this year. Um, yeah. And we represent E3 metals, uh, E3 lithium, uh, you know, direct lithium extraction, energy transition from, you know, a, a former oil field. It's partnered with Exxon, you know, a subsidiary of Exxon in Imperial. This isn't a client of yours. I'm just, I'm just bringing it up in, in theoretically, they can tap into DPA funding, right? Um, up to maybe $50 million, uh, you know, maybe through this mineral security partnership. There's all this talk about the Salton Sea, um, uh, which interestingly didn't get any grants um, from th this first uh, path. I mean, Lilac got something, but, you know, GM had an investor day yesterday and they were talking about their equity stake in controlled thermal. GM's a pretty astute political actor. I was just surprised not to see. Anyway, that was just the first round of grants. On this round of grants, companies are in negotiation with DOE. They have to, they were selected. The money isn't handed over on day one. They have to sign, they have to negotiate terms of a contract, sign it. And those negotiations will go through Q1 and Q2 of this year. Uh, sorry, in 2023. Uh, I think they'd like to see all the negotiations done by March, April of next year. And it's at that point that the money starts to flow from the government side um and to your point like these are multi-year projects these are three to five year projects and so it's going to take some time it's not like we're going to see 
um, you know, processed lithium come out of a plant on day one, it's going to take a year or two for that, that to happen at least. So um, in terms of the second uh, tranche of grants, uh, we, we anticipated it'll be sometime in, in 2023, probably midway through the year. We saw the grants come out in July of, um, of last or June of last year. And, uh, and I think it's going to be similar timeline. They really want to get this money out. It's time is of the essence to move these projects along because they do take multiple years to develop. Okay, so um, grants in the middle of the year, but you know, Department of Energy loans, those could start happening anytime. We may see one. I, I, get, I anticipate a lot of uh, yeah, you're you're you probably have 60 projects in the pipeline right now in the minerals and processing space. So you can imagine a number of those uh, going through and uh, up through the cell and pack development. Uh, I really think it's a huge focus of the loan programs uh, and what they're doing. As you said, Jigger Shah is all over it. His staff has been incredible uh, trying to move these uh, projects along to through due diligence and uh, contract. So it's uh, it's a really exciting time. There's going to be more coming soon. Great. The, um, the interesting thing also is a lot of these projects are in purple and red states. That's where the the projects have been. Uh, that's where the the ecosystems, the uh, the regional ecosystems for the auto industry and the battery industry are located. So you know you talked about Piedmont Lithium in Tennessee. It's a red state. You talk about Talon Metals in North Dakota. It's a red state. So to bolster your point about finger pointing, it would be potentially Republicans finger pointing at their own states that's a fair that's a very good analysis i'm wondering do you think like the democrats and the administration there was a political calculus in in in, in giving money to those to help win over because uh, i would have thought they would have supported Demo like pork into you know blue states if if they didn't have that as political calculus it was a good political move well, they did, um, they did fund right-wing candidates, like extreme candidates, yeah. uh, so that they would lose in the, in the election. So yeah. it could have yeah, been I a cynical some, ploy. <laughs> I, think there's thought, I think there's a thought there. I absolutely do. Why, why wouldn't we uh, try to have political, regional uh, diversity, economic development in most states and try to center our manufacturing and uh, group it around where the automakers are. I mean, which yeah. is in the Southeast, it's in the Midwest and it's in Texas and and a, a little bit in the Sun Belt going out to California. So I, I really, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why they were deployed where they were deployed. Okay. Do you know anything like Canada has, um, there's been talk in Canada, they put out a white paper, they seem to be following the United States. They're, they said by the end of the year, they're gonna pass some sort of legislation. Are, are you knowledgeable about that? Um, have any insights? Because there's an element. Yeah, I mean, of, you know, yeah, leveling I, the playing field. Like there's been some, like Tesla, for example, was talking about possibly building a plant in, in Canada, and then through the IRA, you know, 48C and 45X, uh, you know, now the playing field looks maybe unlevel, and he may come to the United States. So. Yeah. 
are, are and that's true like nouveau monde for example you know there, there were five or six graphite plays funded in America, you know, Nouveau Monde is a great advanced project in Canada, couldn't tap into that money, you know, so, um, you know, is there a Canadian answer, you know, to, to that? Um, yeah, I, I would that? say, I would say that Quebec was first before the U.S. I mean, Quebec's, you know, five plus years into developing their battery supply chain work. They have the Beckencore battery park they're developing a second one because they've run out of space uh there's a tremendous amount of activity on the mining and mineral processing and cathode and anode development side it's situated next to ontario who has a lot of the car manufacturing and battery component and battery work as well so those two provinces i see as leading but you know you mentioned alberta and some of the northern provinces, British Columbia, who also have minerals out there and have a burgeoning market out of, you know, Vancouver and Calgary. So you really see the provinces leading in Canada, and they are putting their money where their mouth is. They're providing loans and grants to companies. They're doing a lot of cost sharing. Um, so a tremendous amount of activity um, the Canadian government at the federal level is also involved at a strategic level. They are deploying cash, but I, you know, to your point, they probably will be deploying more. And so that partnership is number one for the United States. Uh, it's, you know, the foundation of our coalition is, you know, both countries working together and utilizing our strengths. And I, I think it's working. I mean, most of the companies have operations or headquarters in one or, or the other countries because of that connectivity and synergy. So China and the U.S., Biden just met Xi, I think, at the COP27. Um, I, I haven't read any of anything about that other than the, the general tone seemed from headlines that it was a bit of a ratcheting down of rhetoric compared to, you know, two years worth of everything's just been anti-China. So do you have any read on that? And and I've I've thought that, you know, even though the raw materials are, are processed in China and we're reliant and we have to fix that you know, supply chain, China's leadership on this issue from a climate point of view, right? Like we should be wel welcoming a CATL, like in the expertise that China has, um, if you're just focused on climate, independent of the uh, national security implications, because like Goshen, uh, a Chinese company, is you know seems to be cutting a deal in Michigan, which was extremely quiet. I don't know if that deal's yet gone through. Ford uh, wants to have a deal with CATL, uh, but that you know got uncertain during you know Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. <laughs> um, so do you have any sense of what's happening there kind of geopolitically? Could the battery raw material EV, you know, everything about the supply chain be somewhat of an olive branch, right? You know, to ratchet down overall geopolitical tensions and that translate into, you know, maybe more of a, a warming of um, or allowing of, you know, Chinese investment and partnerships with American companies like Ford wants to do and, and, um, and they want to compete with, you know, the Koreans and the Japanese, you know, for battery plants. So any, any thought on that topic? I think um, I have an opinion 
And I also have a perspective on, on your question. I think markets are regionalizing. And so where you have major auto manufacturing in the US and Europe and in China, um, both from you know light duty vehicle all the way to heavy duty vehicle, uh, we should have supply chains around that. And it's incredible what China has done. Um, they, they really uh, built the industry um, and they centered it around uh, mineral processing. And because they had the value add processing there, they were able to build the technology there as well um, and ship minerals in from all over the world. So it's really incredible what they've done. The other thing is the U.S. will never be a China, nor should it try to be. Um, I, you know, part of my background is in cybersecurity uh, national security work and the nexus between energy and national security. And I, I, I've I've seen too many things to to believe that bringing in uh, a CATL to you know build here and help us grow uh, to to believe that that's a good thing for the country. Um, that's my personal opinion. I don't you know speak for any of my uh, clients or or companies, um, I, I think there is uh, China and the, their government, uh, you know, largely have state-owned enterprises. They do not play by the same rules, and they've done a lot of anti-competitive uh, work, you know, when companies come in and work in their country, and when they're abroad, they, they, um, they pay for things that are uh, way over the price of what they're actually worth, so it diminishes the value um, so that they can have access to the resource. So there's a lot of things we have to be careful of and not forget the national security implications, even with their um, economic uh, prowess uh, and technical prowess. So I, I think, you know, the Goshen deal in Michigan, I don't think it's through. I think the government, the U.S. government, if, if it does look like it's going through is probably going to evaluate it through the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. as to whether um, that's sort of a Trojan horse for the, the Chinese government to enter into, into the U.S. So, uh, you know, another way of saying it is China should keep doing what they're doing for the world, but the U.S. really does need to for a lot of reasons, build out the supply chain here to support our, our auto industry. I don't think it's healthy that, you know, one country own 80% of uh, up to 100% of a market. Uh, that's not good for the world. Okay, fair enough. Um, on the other hand, like, there's not any other really manufacturers of, of, um, of scale that are producing like LFP batteries. Right, you know, and Ford wants to use LFP, and 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 Tesla, and you know, so this technology, you know, that CATL dominates, um, and some other Chinese groups, you know, Ford wanted to have a partnership. I think in Mexico, they said in Mexico or in North America, I forget exactly, but I, I I wasn't sure if it was Canada, the U.S. or or Mexico, but they wanted to have a, a battery partnership with CATL. You know, and um, will that be allowed? And then will that you know be if it's not in America, um, will it then be you know not get the benefits of the um, IRAs? Yeah. You know, local content. We have 
we have history to tell us uh, how this has gone. We had the Recovery Act in 2009. Uh, we opened the door to relationships with China across R&D. A lot of our workers in the auto and battery industry went over to China to help form CATL and other companies. We had that warmness. Their Department of Energy staff was going to China every month, right? And we were sharing and sharing. And in that time, they built the industry and we didn't. And so I, I don't want us to lose sight of the, the short-term versus the long-term vision, because China's vision is long-term. They think in five to 25 to 100-year terms, and we're thinking in election cycles. I really do think we need to stick to, hey, guys, we manufacturing at home is good. It's, it's, it's jobs. It's opportunity. It's security. Uh, and it's climate change mitigation, right? So I, you know, we we do have to balance that short-term need, and uh, so that's the tricky part. That's but, but, tricky but, but, but look, if, if five if, to ten years, if CATL or Goshen, and Goshen, I think is is more private sector. I don't think it's state-funded. Um, if they're creating American jobs, you know, um, and they're selling into the American market, it's just you know, what's wrong with that? Yeah, you know, and it's, 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 it's like after all years of China stealing, you know, our IP, like, you know, we can learn from their IP. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, this is a challenge, right? We've seen before where we've let in the Chinese. You see it in like the rail industry where they won uh, transit contracts and they set up the CRRC, set up uh, a factory in Massachusetts. And what we learned from the factory in Massachusetts is for every one job, in Massachusetts, you had five jobs in China cranking out the actual work and then having things shrink wrapped and sent to the factory to bolt together. So I really do think we need to be very, very careful uh, and uh, very uh, intense focus about what it is that we would be allowing, if anything, from their country. Okay, great. Yeah. And really, yeah. Fi now, final, final question, because I just thought of another one. So. SQM, okay, uh, the, the yeah. biggest producer of lithium in the world. Sure. Chilean, okay, free trade agreement country, is 26% owned and has three board seats by a Chinese state-backed lithium company called Tangxi. They sell most of their lithium in the last few years going to China. Right. But they have you know, a joint venture in Australia where they're right. going to mine and process in Australia. It's not going to go to China. So they're going to have lithium hydroxide available from Australia that could be exported all over the world. They're going to have carbonate and hydroxide in Chile that could be exported all over the world. Will SQM's Chilean and Australian product, if sold into the United States, be considered um, under the I IRA rules, right? Or you mean for the, yeah, for the, for the, for the clean subsidies, vehicle subsidies. Yeah, for the clean vehicle tax credit. Yes. I don't know. I mean, that's that's why we're waiting for the guidance. I would think yes, <laughs> but I I think they have to classify what a foreign entity of concern is and what percent uh, ownership and you know decision making power. 
uh, a foreign entity of concern uh, has in in entities that are not foreign entities of concern. So I think that's the debate going on right now at Treasury and in the White House and probably working with the Intel community and Defense Department and Energy to figure out at what point do you separate those that are allowed as part of the credit and those that are not SQM is the perfect example. I'm sure that those three letters have been spoken out loud many, many times uh, in the last few months in the government. Yeah, I, look, the same applies. Tang Shi's a 51% owner, I think, or it's 50-50, you know, with Albemarle in, in Greenbushes in Australia. So yeah. one could argue who controls that. I guess the government will have to look case by case, and then the companies are going to lobby and say, well, we need this exception. But it's very interesting. Like in Canada, they just announced, uh, you know, certain state-owned Chinese need to divest from like three very small lithium companies. Um, it was the Canadian government who forced Nutrien to sell their stake in uh, SQM, and they didn't they didn't care who it was sold to four years ago. You know, now right. they care. I, I want I wonder if the the U.S. government, you know, SQM trades on the New York Stock Exchange, right? It, it, it could there be some forced divestiture um, required? You know, of you know, would the U.S. government tell? The Chinese government or SQM that they got to get rid of like I, I don't know Tang should make a ton of money on it I'd be all for that right they um, they would double the, nearly double the money that they made on the investment and then they could deploy that capital you know into the industry elsewhere but anyway yeah. it's, it's a very interesting yeah. political question well that that brings back to the mineral security partnership are they just going after new deposits or are they going after existing deposits where the Chinese have majority stake in trying to push them out? That question, I don't know the answer to, but I mean, it kind of gets to what you're saying as to, is there diplomacy from uh, other countries, US and others, to push the Chilean government to, to change the terms of the deals they have with the Chinese investors? It's a, it's a fascinating. Like there's a number of countries that are like in China's camp, a number of countries that are in the U.S. camp, and then there are a number of countries that are kind of in play, right? You know, and I think like over the last number of years, she and the and, and the Belt and Road has kind of like looked at South America, like art, and seen Argentina and Chile in play, right? Um, right. And and um, SQM is SQM today. I, I just read yesterday is the biggest taxpayer into the government's coffers as a result of the lithium prices you know, wow. rising. Um, so it's an important, you know, actor and it's an important lever that the U.S. could, you know, prospectively have. But, you know, SQM selling most of their lithium to China, they're selling most of their copper to China, right? It, it'll be a difficult thing for Chile to, you know, to cut off China, right? So anyway, to be continued, really enjoyed the conversation. We covered a lot of ground and... Um... And thank you so much <laughs> for uh, for having me on. Really appreciated the conversation.